Hey there, Foster Care Nation. We wanted to open up a dialogue and talk with some of the listeners a little bit and just see what you guys have to say. We have a voicemail line. It is at 413-FOSTER-3. That's 413-367-8373. Now, we would love to be able to share some of your stories. If you have a couple quick stories you want to put on the air, or if it's something you'd just like to talk to us a little bit and let us know what you're hearing and what you would like to hear. That would be awesome. We would love to have that from you guys. So if you would reach out and let us know. Also, I'm going to uh, just assume that you guys know that we are talking about putting some of these stories on the air. So if there's some privacy issues, feel free to change a name. Don't use a name. I don't care. Just take care of the privacy stuff. We don't want anybody getting in any trouble on anything like that. We're not trying to out anybody's story out here in the world. So just be mindful of privacy. Again, that is the phone number is 413-FOSTER-3. 413-367-8373. Thanks a lot, and we hope to hear from you soon. You can forget a lot of things, Foster Care Nation, but never forget this. You're listening to Unparalleled Studios. I think no. Foster Care Nation, listen up. This is Foster Care and Unparalleled Journey. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Hello and welcome back to Foster Care and Unparalleled Journey with Jason and Amanda. And today straight out of Germany, we decided to find some random naval officer to talk to about like adoption and stuff. So Teresa Carpenter is our guest today. Tell us, Teresa, how are you doing over there in Germany? Is the weather beautiful today? It was a beautiful day. Thank you so much for having me, Jason and Amanda. It's wonderful to be here. And yes, Germany is a gorgeous country. I'm very, very grateful to have spent the last month here and I'm looking at another couple months here. So it's been a been a really incredible experience. So thank you. Thank you for having me. I knew a lot of guys 20 years ago when I was in it, spent time over there and they all seem to enjoy that time, but they're mostly guys my age, like 21 or so years old at the time. And all their stories started with this amazing beer that they found. And it went sideways shortly thereafter. <laughs> yes, yes. In fact, we went to a pub last night where that you could actually pour the beer from the from the table. I'd never seen that. I guess that that might be a German thing, but you just they just bring the cups out to you, and then you can decide which type of beer, a lager or a something else, and then you just press this little number on the screen that's up at your table, and then you just you get your beer right there at the table. It was it was it was quite quite the interesting experience. But yes. Germany is very well known for for their beers, for sure. Yeah, no wait. You don't have to wait on your server. No, no you do not. <laughs> as, as a young soldier back in the day, I think that would be incredibly detrimental to the health of most of the guys I knew. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> that wait was important. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> well, Teresa, we definitely did not come here to talk about beer because I gave that up like four or five years ago now. And so we came to talk about something else entirely. I know that you have a connection to the to the adoption world, and so I just wanted to hear 
your story about how you got connected in there and, and what that has been for you over the last several several years, probably more than years. <laughs> Although I never guess a woman's age, my mom taught me better. It's okay, Jason. I'm I'm 45 years old, so um, I was I was born in in 1976, August 5th, and I was adopted at about two months of age. I'm originally from Columbus, Ohio. And I was adopted through Catholic Social Services. So my uh, parents had gone through that agency before to get my brother. And they decided that they also wanted to have uh, adopt a daughter. And my mom and dad could not could not have children. So they decided to go with Catholic Social Services and get me. Uh, I grew up always knowing that I was adopted. It was never a secret. It was just something that was talked about as common as anything else they were talking to me about. There was never any, because uh, I know some people are not told or, or any of that. My mom and dad were very open about it. They were open about the fact that my brother and I did not come from this, you know, from the same parents, all of those kinds of things. I knew that my, my adopted mother was 19 when she had me. But I didn't know any other details about her. Um, the adoption records were were closed at the time. So I didn't have a name. I didn't know anything about my uh, uh, birth family. So this is how things progressed along, me just knowing that I was adopted. And I didn't really have any burning desire to know where I was from or what the story was behind me being adopted until... I turned uh, 21 and I was in the middle of having a nervous breakdown in the Navy. I was having some bad mental health issues. I was almost going to get kicked out. And I had this like very large amount of time on my hands. I was in Great Lakes, Illinois, about to get processed out or so I thought. I ended up fighting a med board, medical board and staying in. But I just had a lot of free time on my hands waiting to get processed out. And I started just being very introspective and wondering maybe there was something to my adoption story or my birth story that might be interesting to learn more about. It wasn't like I thought I was going to fill a void with it or that it was going to be this long lost thing. I didn't put any expectations on it. I, I just thought, well, this might be an interesting thing to learn more about and maybe I can find out some more information. So I contacted Catholic Social Services and they said that they couldn't give me any information, but that I could petition the Franklin County Court and they would release any information that they had. And apparently at that time, there was a process by which if a uh, birth parent wanted to let the courts know that they wanted to be found, they could put their name on a registry. So when I contacted the courts, I found out that my birth mom, like maybe five, 10 years prior, had gone to the courthouse and put her name down on a registry to be found. It had her name and it had her address. So I was like, whoa, I got a name and address. This is, this is interesting. Uh, and it turned out that the address was like, five minutes away from my mom and dad's house. So I was really kind of like spooked out a little bit by that. And I tried to send her a letter and it never, um, I never heard anything back. I was still in Illinois at the time. So I came home on leave for, I think it was like Christmas break. 
and I had the address and I had her name (laughs) and I thought, Hmm, I wonder who she is. And I was just curious. I was hanging out with my girlfriend at the time. And I was like, let's just stop by and see who she is. I mean, that's the kind of person I was. I was kind of one of those people growing up where I felt like I had nothing to lose. I would always take risks. I was kind of rebellious. Uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't follow rules really. And so I thought, Oh, let's just go see what, what's up with her. Who is she? And so we knocked on the door and we said, is, is Peggy there? And this woman answers the door and she has like eyes like me and kind of looks like me in the face. It was really weird. And she was like, Peggy's not here. And she was really kind of weirded out. You could tell she was completely freaked out by seeing me, seeing my face. And, uh, so we closed the door and I just say, okay, well, let her know that my name is, uh, I went by Terry back then. My name is Terry Pickard. And, uh, I just stopped by to say hi. And I was very non-threatening. Right. And we walked out and I turned to my best friend or Becky Zimmerman. And I was like, Becky, that was her. That was totally Peggy. And, and Becky was like, yeah, it was. And so we, and really that was my attitude around it. Like I was kind of like, well, I guess maybe she doesn't want to see me. Doesn't want anything to do with me. That's fine. So I go back to Illinois and I think I sent a car saying, Oh, I'm so sorry. I missed you. <laughs> I think there was somebody who answered the door. It wasn't you, but you know, maybe, maybe our paths will cross. Maybe they won't. I, I you know, thank you for everything that you did. I, I, I grew up in a very loving home, blah, blah, blah. And from there, I, I think she called me because I think I left my number, my work number, and I ended up talking to her and it was just the weirdest thing conversation and she's a bipolar and she's very, she's got a lot of energy and she's just back and forth. And she, you know, and it was just, and she's like, well, I just want you to know that that was me at the door. I really want you to know that. And I was like, I kind of thought it might be you. (laughs) And so then from that point, we had a relationship for about 10 years before she passed away. Like every time I'd go home, I would spend time with Peggy. She was um, on disability. Uh, she could never live a normal life because of her bipolar and she had alcoholism, but she would take me to her AA meetings and I would go to them and I would get cards from all her AA friends. And every so often I would get a very manic call from Peggy because she was always kind of up and down with her moods. Um, but I never judged her and I thought she was a nice lady. Uh, that was pretty much the end of it until she passed away. And then once she passed away, um, I ended up getting an obituary from my parents because my parents told me, oh, yeah, Peggy passed away. Because throughout this, you know, I told my mom and dad that I'd met with Peggy and, you know, they were happy for me. There wasn't any any real resentment I didn't sense or anything. And so they sent me the obituary. I wrote the people that were on the obituary. And then that's when I found out that, you know, Peggy, she had told me about her aunt, like her sister who was support my aunt, my aunt Sherry, but, uh, I didn't know anything about her or, or very much. And so from that point, um, I started a relationship with the rest of Peggy's family. And so I ended up going to a school in Maryland with the Navy. And I ended up really getting to know, uh, my Peggy's sister. Um, and from there, uh, Richard and, and, and Shirley, Shirley Lake, and I spent a lot of time with them, like two, three months with them. And then I thought that was going to be the end of it. But then I met Jerry in, in, in San Francisco. So it just turned out to be this really big family. And then many years after that, uh, 
the sisters came along. So Franklin County opened up their records and decided that you had to put yourself on a registry not to be found. And so what that meant is all the siblings, because Peggy had given birth to many other people besides me. There's probably like, she, according to what she told me, it was like six or seven. And even her own sisters, they lost touch with her over the years and they don't even know how many kids uh, Peggy's had over the years. And so now I have uh, a sister that I keep in touch with, uh, two of them, Katie, um, and I have a brother, Andrew, and uh, yeah, and, and another sister whose name just escapes me at the moment because I haven't told this story out loud to anyone, <laughs> but, uh, and I don't talk to her as much because she's amazing, amazing, amazing girl. And uh, yeah, it's just been a, a really interesting journey to, to know all these people. And I've met with the sisters, don't know anything about my birth dad, but the, all those people, um, it's, it's just been really amazing. Katie's the one I keep in touch with the most. Katie is my one sister who I just talked to quite a bit. Um, but yeah, it's been really neat. Yeah. I mean, that sounds amazing. I mean, cause a lot of people, when they go searching for their birth family, doesn't always go so well. No, I, I think what I did is I went into it with zero expectations I mean, I still have um, a sister who won't talk to me at all. I was on a, like a surprise party for one of the sisters, Jerry, and the one other sister was on that same call on Zoom. And you could tell she was not happy (laughs) that I was on the call, (laughs) but I just kind of looked at it like, that's her problem. That's really not mine. I I don't know what happened between her and Peggy, um, but you know, Shirley and uh, Inchel is their adopted Korean daughter who I really like quite a bit. Um, and, and, and that whole side of the family has just been amazing to me. And, you know, we, we, we don't talk a lot and it's probably, you know, just geographical distance and other things and, and really, but every time I see them, I'm always happy to see them and I'm always glad for, for them to visit. And uh, yeah. And some people don't keep in touch like Andrew. I reached out to him a couple times and he, he seemed most comfortable just text messaging and, it was more his daughter who wanted to find us. And that was through E um, through one of those genetic websites. So got on one of those sites. Cause I'm like, Oh, maybe I'll find a brother or a dad or something through one of those sites. And through that, Andrew came along because uh, the daughter had registered the DNA on there and it matched up with one of my sisters. So we're like, Oh wow. And then that was when we figured out that Andrew was another, was another Peggy Norris uh, child. So it's just been very interesting. So I probably still have some brothers or sisters out there. And of course, a dad, a birth dad out there that I don't know anything about. That's what I was going to say. There there could be, you know, several others out there. You never know what you might find later on. Hey there, Foster Care Nation. If you'd like to find yourself in a group with like-minded people, head over to Facebook and you can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash foster care UJ. We've got a group over there where we talk about foster care, we talk about adoption, and we talk about all the things related. If your podcast player allows it, you can also reach down and hit that subscribe button so you get notified every week when we put up uploads. Every Tuesday, a new episode comes out. We'd love to see you next week. Now back to the show. Of course, a dad, a birth dad out there that I don't know anything about. That's what I was going to say. There there could be, you know, several others out there. You never know what you might find later on. (laughs) Right. Right. And I, and I, and I remain open to it. And like I say, I think the best thing to do when you're adopted and you want to reach out to your birth family is that you go into it with zero expectations. 
if Peggy had never followed up with me, I, I would have been okay because I, I'm intruding on her life. I mean, she didn't, she might've wanted to be found three years ago, four years ago, but maybe she changed her mind and just never took herself off the registry. So that's, that's entirely her, her choice. Yeah. Well, you mentioned a couple of things I find really interesting. Number one, uh, you decide to become an officer in the Navy and a self-admitted, not a good rule follower. <laughs> Am I the only oh, yeah. one who finds humor in that? Because I, I was just, I was just, a, I was the, you know, the guy in the army who was not more important than anybody. I was at the bottom of the pile. I was right. the guy who got the shovel handed to him and said, yeah, hey, look, we're supposed to dig a hole over here. That's your job. So yeah, I was that guy. And I had to be a good, uh, quite the rule follower just to keep myself, you know, out of too much trouble. How, how do you think that, that, lack of rule following that adventurous spirit if you will however you want to, to word it how, how did that show up in your life do you think that's something that is a family trait somewhere or is that just something that uh that you just grew into as a, as a kid and, and just chase that that whole mentality well my parents always taught me to think critically um my, my adoptive parents they were very um very analytical and and they always were kind of like hmm well, let's think about that, Teresa. You know, they were always encouraging me to question rules and why we have rules. And and they didn't really live by anybody else's rules. Just because everybody says this is the way we should do things, they didn't necessarily do things that way. Like they don't answer their phone, for example, because they don't like to be bothered by people. So <laughs> they have a machine that screens all their calls. And they said it's because they're tired of the telemarketers and, and other things. But I literally have to talk on the answering machine to get them to pick up. And they will, they'll pick up, but they just have one phone and they have one, they don't have a cell phone and it's in their office and, and that's it. And so they've just, my mom and dad have always been their own people. And so I think that partially rubbed off on me. And then I think that the way I've been able to survive though, is I always had mentors or I found people within the service that I admired. And so I felt like, okay, I, I want what they have, like they're moving up and they're doing well and they're successful. What is it that they're doing to be successful? And I, you know, I, I definitely have my, my lovers and my haters, like we all do. And I think when you have a, a personality like mine, um, you, you tend to be a little bit polarizing. And, and so I've just learned to love and embrace the person that I am. And I think that you need people like me uh, who question authority to a certain degree, um, not to the degree of mutiny, not to the degree of I'm going to die on every hill. I think that's the other thing too you learn about breaking rules is that you don't die on every hill. You, you learn the hills that are worth it and the ones that you really want to push for the right reasons. And then the things that aren't as big a deal, you just kind of let go. Yeah, we uh, we taught our, our kids a similar mindset. And I know that that led to a, a handful of teachers who really would compliment us, when, especially when our older boys were in high school. They, you know, he's so smart and he thinks and he this, he asks interesting questions. He, I love having him in class because he always brings up a unique perspective. Mm -hmm. And then there was then the there other was teachers. there was the other teachers that I would get the emails <laughs> from weekly. Oh, I bet. <laughs> Because some people are very much rule followers and they really just get annoyed by a personality like me. I'm overwhelming to them and they just don't want to deal with it because they just want to get by and get along. <laughs> and so I, you know, and I just say, well, I'm not, I'm not the person for you. Then I'm not your person. You know? Amen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
our boys, you know, they'll they'll keep going until they get that answer. You know, mm. there's no like talking mm. in another direction or, you know. Right, right. Like, no, this is this is the question. You're gonna give me an answer and I'm gonna keep going and going and going and going until mm-hmm. you give it to me. And not everybody appreciates that. No, they definitely don't. And and you have to, like I say, you have to understand that sometimes some things just aren't aren't worth getting like, what are you going to get out of it? Like, and I think that that also comes with maturity though. And as a kid, you just want to be right. You want so badly for your, you to win that argument or that discussion. And then you get older and you're like, eh, it's not really worth it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, I've learned so much in this dad's group that I'm a part of. And one of them is, you know, you, you get to win usually either the, the argument or you get to win the heart of the other person. And sometimes you really, really, really feel the need to win both. And you're going to be sad when you find out you don't get to win them both almost ever. You either win the heart or you win the argument. And sometimes, sometimes when you're sitting in school with that teacher who was born like 73 years before you were, who's really hardcore on her beliefs, you, you maybe you're not going to win either one. You know, right. having that argument is not all you really do get to do is influence the other people around you to help them think a little bit more for themselves. So, yeah, that's that's a, a mentality that a lot of people fail at today. We have so many kids who we we have trained to be great rule followers and pitiful thinkers. Absolutely. And like I say, a lot of that is emotional intelligence. And I don't think we do a good job of arming people to be emotionally intelligent and, and intuitive to other people, whether that be reading body language. Um, I have, I had a body language expert on my podcast and there's so many nonverbals that people do when they're communicating and we fail to pick up on those things because we're so invested in what we want to say instead of the language and the, and the reactions of other people. And by not picking up on those nuances, um, we fail to, we fail to uh, connect with one another and it's usually at our detriment that we do so because then we isolate ourselves. And so, uh, yeah, I, I'm glad that you're teaching your kids uh, how to do that because uh, sometimes you're right. It, it's worth it to to push the issue so that the other kids in the class see that there's another perspective. Um, but what that also may do is alienate your child from that teacher. And then that just makes it harder for the, your child to every day work with this teacher. So it's kind of a judgment call about which battle do you want to pick at the time and which ones are worth it and which ones aren't? Well, my kids have found out that if it goes that way, they've got somebody who's big and scary and hairy who will walk in and talk with the administration if it becomes a problem. So I I have had several principals who, who've known my name very, very well. And I've had lots of those conversations where I said, um, all right, I'm going to go ahead and close this door because we're going to talk like grown adults in here and these kids don't need to hear this, right? Yeah, good for you. <laughs> but but that's just uh, that's who I am. I am not a confrontation seeker at all. But when it needs to be done, I will not walk away, you know, blindly and quietly and let my kids suffer for it. So yeah, I'm I'm a real big pusher on on that as well. Um, you mentioned uh, you mentioned something that I totally forgot to throw into the intro that the fact that you have your own podcast. And so number one. Amanda had to run out of the room because I think it was one of our sons, actually one of those older boys who caused those problems calling her <laughs> to make sure they're okay. But, um, but, uh, when, uh, when you mentioned this, I, I just knew I had to throw something in here. And right now she would like pull a muscle roll in her eye at me because she knows I'm, I'm a brain science 
kind of a nerd about that stuff. I'm curious, who did you have on as far as body language goes, your body language guest? Uh, Chase Hughes. He's the host of a show called The Behavior Panel. He okay. uh, he and I were in the Navy together. He served with me on USS Russell. And uh, I got to follow his journey from writing his first book, The Ellipses Manual, all the way to where he is now, where he's like coaching elite clients and got a TV series in the works and written all these wow. mystery spy novels. I mean, he's an amazing guy. He just did a, a, a show on Putin uh, where him and like three of his colleagues, that's what they do. They, they host this YouTube show every week and they bring on, you know, they have a video of a celebrity or a high profile figure and they just break down all the, all the different body language uh, gestures and things. And it's an area of science that I feel academia is really missing out on and is not as plugged into because as he was telling me his research into it, uh, there really isn't a lot in the, in the world of academia about body language. And so hypnotherapists and others are, are really tapping into this uh, growing, emerging science. And uh, he's, he's an incredibly charismatic and uh, just just really, really insightful person to talk to. I'm, I'm really lucky. I'm friends with them. Yeah. I, I ran across, um, I think a book by, Oh, Joe Navarro. I think it is. Um, he taught the body language course for at, um, at Quantico for the FBI. And he has a mm. book called the power of body language. And that's where I really kind of dove into it. But you know, I look at it from a whole different angle because what we do, right. Our world foster care stuff, adoption, kids, adults, kids with tons of trauma, lots of things in their life, you know, a wife who's had her fair share of trauma. And man, if I can figure out this body language thing, I read so many subtexts that I would miss otherwise. And, and I can be intentional about the message that I'm putting out that they can read, that they can see. And it changes my ability to communicate with kids in trauma because they pick up on those body language cues really really well even when they're not intentional because the truth is that the first language we all learned was body language absolutely every yeah. newborn knows how well probably not newborns yet but every little one at some point reaches up and screams and you know that means pick me up mm -hmm. you know you know what that means and they've learned how to communicate with people that way we all did it and we learned all this body language stuff until we learned the english language or whatever your first language is and you stopped using that body language intentionally. You can still use it, but you don't do it intentionally. And we can miss that on so much on kids. And that's something that's so super important. Oh my gosh. Great point. You're right. I, and it's unfortunate that things like, again, body language, emotional intelligence, the power of community, financial independence. There's just things that like kids don't learn. Yes. Entrepreneurship is another one. I mean, gosh, like, you know, I look back at my school and, and yeah, it's great. I learned about history and mathematics and all these things, but I, I seriously think like if someone had said, Teresa, you need a skilled trade. What is your skilled trade? You're going to start it in high school and you're going to have something that you do so well, and you're going to practice at it. And it's going to be required. You just, you pick something. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be what you do the rest of your life but you're going to pick something now. I mean, what if every kid had to do something like that? I mean, it's just there. I think there's just so many different ways of teaching children that we just don't, we don't tap into as a society. And I think it's to our detriment. 
Hey there, Foster Care Nation. We'd like to take a quick minute to step out of the podcast here and ask you guys for a little bit of support. If you could share an episode with people, friends, in a group, with family, anywhere where there's somebody who would like to hear this. Also, if you'd like to join us and support our mission, a couple dollars a month would be really helpful. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash fostercarenation. Now back to the show. I think there's just so many different ways of teaching children that we just don't, we don't tap into as a society. And I think it's to our detriment. Oh, you're a hundred percent right. You're a hundred percent right. So your podcast is called stories of service podcast, correct? Yes. Stories of service, ordinary people who do extraordinary work and it's SOS for short. And I don't have a niche. I profile people from all walks of life who show up in service to their respective communities. So it was really my way of deepening into my own personal curiosity about why people do what they do. And so I have people on most people I know, but not always. Um, I find people sometimes through my LinkedIn is is a big way I do because I have a pretty sizable LinkedIn following. Um, But it's really just people who, who fascinate me. I get you know, of course, everybody always wants to know who are your big names. And I have big names sometimes. Like I got Carol Baskin from the Tiger King. Oh, God, I just love that lady. Oh, but wow. I, yeah, yeah. I'm a big animal person. So I'm really into animal advocacy and other things. But I, I've had people that my father or I had my cousin who uh, was was sober during our podcast, but unfortunately, a couple few weeks ago passed away uh, due to drug overdose. So I've had people from every walk of life, every, a lot of times they're associated with the military because that's just who I happen to know at this moment. Uh, but it's, it's an amazing labor of love and something I enjoy tremendously. Yeah. Well, we'll make certain that we link that up on the, in the show notes so people can go find that there and, uh, and hear the stories that you tell. But if we step back into the uh, a little bit back into your story, um, one of the things that that I you wrote or that you mentioned that I I wrote it down because I went, man. You said your mom at one point, your birth mom went and registered so that she could be found. Mm-hmm. You know, have you ever really reflected on on what that what that means in as much as who she is? Because I know you mentioned she had some mental health struggles. You know, she had some struggles with bipolar and things like that. And those can be so challenging, but at the same time, she still at one point genuinely apparently wanted to be found. Right. Yeah. I, I, you know, and she, she was just such a lost soul. I mean, when I look back on all of the things that she had dealt with in her life and sort of the way her life went, there was still such a kindness to her and, and a heart. Um, I, I just always, it was so interesting to be around somebody that, (laughs) that was like, I guess like me, you know, like I had just never seen that. Like I didn't grow up knowing that there was anybody that was truly had any personality traits or looked like me or acted like me. And so when I was around her, I, I just was like, wow, what an interesting person she was. I mean, she, she was a little bit crazy, but I have never been a judgmental person. And so crazy, I don't care about it. It's more like, are you a good person? And do you have a good heart? And I always felt that she did. Um, And she was always trying, like she was always trying to get her life together or, you know, not 
lose weight. That was a big thing. She was very obese. And so she was trying to lose weight for a while. And, and I just always enjoyed talking to her and she was so proud of me. Like I felt like, like I was something that she could look to because I was in the Navy and I was successful in the military. And so I think she felt like the way that I turned out, she felt like she made, it helped her feel like she made the right decision. And so I was glad to be that person for her uh, because I don't think she felt like she had a lot of things to feel proud of and feel successful about. And so the fact that she had a daughter that was doing well, who she gave up to what she thought was a good family. And so I think that made her feel, feel good. And I liked being able to do that for her. So. Okay. Well, say, say, uh, go ahead and solve this long mystery for us. Nurture versus nature who you are today. Do you think that, that that was more came out of your biology or out of the, your environment that you grew up in? I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. I, I would like to think it's, it's both. I mean, I, I think that we get a little bit of, of both from, from that. Um, I mean, I, I know that, that mental health has been challenge a challenge for a couple of my sisters as well. Um, I know that, you know, Peggy had her share of mental health issues. I've had my share of mental health issues. Um, but I also got a lot from my adopted parents too. Like my questioning attitude, uh, my, my love for the deep, deep conversations and intimate intimacy. Um, you know, my love of reading I got from my mom and dad. So I, I think that it's a little bit of both that, that you get. And, and it, it isn't until that's the neat thing about being adopted. It isn't until you meet. And if you're adopted and you get to meet your birth family that you see like what could have come from the people that, that you, that, that gave birth to you versus the people who raised you. So I think it's both. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned your own mental illness struggles when in the Navy there. Um, and I mean, who among us hasn't had some level of struggles on that front? Um, the only ones who haven't are the liars in the room. So, <laughs> you know, let's just be real honest there. We all have oh, our yeah. struggles around that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So do you, do you feel like that that may be something that was genetically influenced? Was it something that looked like a struggle that your, your biological mother had? And, you know, how did you see that? There, I mean, did, was that something that you guys could actually talk about? Was that a connection point? It was, I mean, she knew that I'd been in a mental hospital and I'd had a, a psychotic episode. So she, she understood, she know, she knew the details of that uh, because that had happened after I met her or before I met her. So she knew about that. Um, at the time I was diagnosed even back then with alcohol dependence. And it's funny when I look back on that, cause I was in total denial that alcohol was even an issue. And uh, it wasn't until, you know, getting a DUI many, many years later, and then, having this kind of pass out, go blackout drunk at a military exercise a couple of years later that I realized like, oh gosh, I really got to address this whole numbing with alcohol thing uh, because it's, it's, it's not good and it's leading to other things. So I do think that it's part of my troubles with alcohol. And, and I mean, for what it's worth, even when I was going through my psychotic episode, they tried to diagnose me as a bipolar. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they said I had a bipolar episode which I thought was interesting since Peggy was diagnosed as a bipolar and was an alcoholic. So, um, 
Yeah. I mean, it's just interesting to me that she had very much some of the same struggles that I did. And of course she did not raise me. So it makes you wonder how much of that is. I mean, because people do say that alcoholism is, is hereditary. Um, you know, I've just always sort of chalked it up to having an addictive personality. Um, but to this day, I, I really don't know. Um, you know, how much of that is, I mean, I'm so happy these days and I'm surrounded by love and I'm in a very, you know, happy marriage and I have a lot of good friends and, you know, I'm in a really good place in my life. So the problems with alcohol or mental health just really haven't bubbled to the surface, but make no mistake, something were to happen to my husband, or maybe I would lose all my money or something like that. I mean, who knows where I would be. And I'm, I'm very realistic about that. Like, I, I think trauma is not something that you just Get, it just goes away. No, oh, I get over it. No, uh-uh. I think that it's all situational and it's relational. And so when you're in a good place and life is going well, then you may not have all those issues, but I'm, I'm very aware that it's something that I'm always going to have a little bit of a struggle with because of some of my insecurities and other things that I deal with. Well, and you, you just never know when a trigger is going to happen. Yes. Oh, know? absolutely. Amanda, you're right. And a lot of times you, you, you're not even going to realize it. And then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, how did I get here? You know, but mm-hmm. we've talked to a, a lot of people, um, a lot of uh, adoptees, and a lot of people are, are just, they're looking for that connection. It's like they're they're missing something. And so they go out and they search for that and they put so much on that. I can relate. And, uh, it seems like, you know, you went out and you had some realistic expectations for yourself you know, and it seemed to work out really well. It did. It did. I, but I, I definitely feel like I have always kind of longed for this, like super intense, super close relationship with people. And, and I have to wonder if that was partially being given up. I mean, I can't like, it's gotta be traumatic even for a baby to just be uh, separated from his, from his or her mother. I mean, just that, biological pull of not having that, even if it's just for a month or two, I, I, I can't imagine anybody not being traumatized by that on to, on a certain level. Um, even if they were raised in the best family, best home. Um, so absolutely the, the brain remembers, you know, that, that mom carried you in her stomach, mm-hmm. you heard her voice, her smells, her, you know, so yeah, babies don't remember, but the brain does. Yeah, that's Doesn't a good point. Understand it, you know, but it, mm-hmm. it's there. And I think that my mom and dad had a lot of struggles with that. If I can be frank, my my mom especially. I think she really wanted to bond with me, and I probably was not the easiest kid uh, for her to 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 become close with, because I think the the trauma was still there. And uh, you know, she tells me all the time. You know, when I was a baby, I was pushing away from her. And I was, you know, pull, you know, doing this kind of thing. So those scars do run deep. They do. And uh, it's just something to keep in mind when you adopt children. And it's great that you guys have a podcast like this that educates about things like this. Yeah, I read something just recently, and I'm not going to lie and say that I read it in depth and, and researched it and found out to be true. But there was something about how in utero the uh, the baby's um, body and the the mother's body exchange cells. You know, some of those cells actually go. And the mother has a uh, a cardiac episode. 
there's some, I want to say it was some sort of stem cell or something that comes from the baby and gets pushed to the mother to where literally like the baby can save the mom's life in some circumstances. There is that sort of connection amongst each other. You are truly one for a while, a hundred percent. Like you're sharing not just blood, but some of the, the cells of the body inter- interchange. And, and the thought was more or less, that is the link. That's why, why that link is so important a lot of times while we we know it's there even when we don't know it's there you know even if you don't know the story you know that there's something that's missing in your life and so i find it to be wildly interesting just how how much that biological bond means in so many ways and yet as you know as you tell your story yes the biological bond is strong but you can still make that bond with other people who choose to care for you at the same time you you can you can and i think that's what's great about life and about <clears throat> being resilient and, 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 and living, I mean, we, like we said earlier, we, we all live with things that, that have hurt us and, and everyone's had, had, had suffering on some level. And I think that, you know, as people, we, we have to learn how to get through those hurts and how to, how to walk, walk through them, no matter what they are. And, uh, you know, I've been very, very fortunate that I've had good people in my path who have helped me and, and given me a lot of love and support when I needed it. Well, now that you're not that troublemaking teen anymore, <laughs> uh, but you you are, are grown up and have a husband. Do you have children of your own biological biological children, or have you considered adoption as part of your life? Um, well, I'm I'm 45 and I'm I'm now in my 26th next month a year in the Navy, and uh, I've always sort of taken the the hard what we call the hard competitive jobs, um, which involved a lot of travel, and so I just. For, for many reasons, I, I had a really hard time finding a, a good partner, a compatible partner. I, I'm divorced and I've been with my husband now for five years. And, and like I said, I'm very, very happy. My husband does not want children. I knew that when I met him. Um, but I and I was open to having I was 40 when I met him. So I was open to having kids with him or not having kids. He was adamantly against it. And at that point, I still wanted to continue on with the Navy and the Navy is, is definitely a, a greedy, greedy master. And so if you want, especially as a woman, if you want to have a child and raise kids and then be in the Navy at the same time, it's not that you can't do it, but the sacrifices that you have to make to do it, I I just didn't feel like would have been worth it. Um, so, uh, for those reasons, I, I have decided not to have children. Um, as far as fostering or adopting, um, I'd be open to that. I don't think my husband would. (laughs) So, um, and, and, and I'm just so happy and grateful that I found a a loving husband (laughs) because I just didn't think that was ever going to happen to be honest with you. And so at this point, I don't think that's something I'm going to welcome into my life. Um, but I, I certainly admire people who can and who do like, like you guys, it's, it's an amazing thing that you're doing. And like you said, like I said, I, I wish more people would. And it's, it's, it's really un, like when you shared your story about the, the China and how expensive it was to, to get children from China and then how many kids in the United States need help. It's, it's really interesting when you think about it, because most people do, they think, oh, well, I'm going to adopt a child overseas. A lot of people want to go that route, not thinking about all the kids in foster care who, who need homes and who need care. And so, um, I just, I applaud what you're doing. Well, I appreciate the kind words, but I, I'd have some really specific opinions about that because I see people who will get online and, 
And God help us all. The end of the world is going to come from Facebook, just so you know. That's where World <laughs> War Three is really going to come from. For all the people following the news, afraid that World War Three is coming out of some current political system, um, it's going to come from Facebook. It, that's that's just where it's coming from. But as soon as you mention like adopting a kid from China or Korea or some other nation, there's always somebody who wants to get on there and holler about, well, with all these kids here in America, why can't you help American kids? And And they get into this big, like, high getting on their high horse self-righteous fighting right. these battles over facebook and i'm like whoa, whoa whoa hang on the truth is is that i think we all have a calling on our life you know and then amanda and i have a calling on our life we thought it was going to be you know something to do with you know china's girls when they had the one child policy we were right. wrong you know if you want to hear god laugh tell him your plans because because he did <laughs> he giggled pretty good and said now watch this and so here we sit in a completely different situation than we ever really thought we would be in. You know, we talk about it on a regular basis on a podcast, something that I'm going to tell you, what, two and a half years ago before we started this, Amanda would have told you, I will never do that. Um, just the fact that I get her to sit on camera this long while we do it is a, is a small miracle. <laughs> you know, it's it's not at all what we thought it was, but it was it was the calling that we were led to. And that's what I encourage people all the time is, you know, find that thing that sets your soul on fire. Go change the world and the way that, that you're supposed to. You were put here on this earth for a reason. Today, right. in this time, in this place, there's a reason that I am sitting here. There's a reason why you are sitting in Germany right there. We all have that 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 fire in our life somewhere. We just have to go ahead and take that little, that little flint and steel and, and start that fire in your soul and go chase whatever it is that you were meant to do. And I so, agree. I like to ask a lot of people this question, and I probably should ask it beforehand so they have time to think about it, but ah, I like people to have to think about it. Do you have any idea what it is that sets your soul on fire, the thing that you want to do, the way that you want to change the world? I want to change the world through storytelling. I want to change the world through people being who they are, sharing their uh most difficult moments or their most uh, triumphant moments, and then using those stories to propel others to move forward with their lives. Because I noticed that whenever I would read a story and get inspired by somebody, it would, it would make me want to do something, whether it be a movie that I watched. I've just, I've always been captivated by the, by the art of story and by listening to how someone did something or why they did what they did. And I think that what really compels me is listening to the ways in which other people put together their story and the creative ways that you can do it. I see story in everything now. Like I, I, when I walk and do things in tourist world or whatever, like I'm being a sightseeing, I, I see something on a wall and I think, Oh, wow, that, that has a point. There's a, there's a little story behind this and I'll do like a quick little video now because I'm just so into it. And I think that with social media, we're, we're all given a, a wonderful blessing if we use it properly um, to be able to put our stories out there through podcasting, through posts on social media, through books. Um, so I, I think that's what sets my soul on fire is, is being around amazing people who inspire me and want to help others and want to whether that be a life coach or it be an animal activist or it be people like yourselves, or, you know, there's a guy who wrote the 48 laws of power. And I, I actually got in touch with his assistant and, and maybe I can have him on as a guest future podcast, but 
you know, he's just fascinating. Like who, who would sit there and write 48 laws of power or the power of seduction or all these other crazy or partner with 50 cent and write a book. I mean, like all that stuff just, just thrills me. Like I get so nerded out by listening to like what makes somebody tick and and how did they do it? Like, how did they really pull that off? And, and even this thing with the Ukrainian president, I'm having like a little crush on him, not a crush, but just I'm fascinated by a leader like him and somebody who goes on social media and does selfies and is really telling the story of what's going on with his people in a way that no other world leader has ever done. And, and he's just he's really setting the example for how a government can communicate properly on social media. And no one's ever done that. Even in our own military, we don't communicate like that. And so um, that's what sets my soul on fire is, is, is storytelling and the art of how to share your story in a way to lift others. You know, I'm not going to say that one of our past leaders was really good at doing that. He was pretty good at social media, but I don't know that it was always used to lift others up. Yeah, <laughs> I stay away from politics entirely, but but I'm going to tell you, Twitter is one of those places that I just stay away from on purpose these days. It was just such a crazy ride for us. But I agree with what you're saying, 100 percent, that power of story. And, you know, there's a couple a couple different podcasts that I listen to pretty, pretty religiously. Um, one of them is um, what's his name? Glenn Washington does the uh, snap judgment I don't know if you've ever heard that one, but he it's um it's aired on NPR a lot. And I'm I'm not a political junkie. His show has very little political bend to it. And but it's stories. There's he has one particular guy who tells a story. I think it's James DeWolf who tells a story called The Girl in the Hallway. And if any of you have not heard that, go look it up on YouTube. Uh James DeWolf, he spells the the, the wolf part is spelled weird. Just know that, but you'll find him. And the name of the story is The Girl in the Hallway. And I've probably listened to that story two dozen times now and I still can't get through it with a dry eye and you know you can ask Amanda I'm not the emotional like cry at anything kind of guy almost ever but this guy tells a story that just just shoots you through the heart and it just leaves me laying there going again (laughs) I can't get all the way through this and and still be you know calm and 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 dry-eyed here but that's the power of story is to be able to pull that emotion even out of people who don't access emotions very easily. I, I'm I'm one of those people who've dealt with a lot of dissociation over my life, and I don't hand, I don't get into emotion very deeply typically. But a good story will just will just bring me right in, and I think it's how humans have communicated for for millennia. Yeah, I can remember um, when the movie about uh, Mister Rogers came out, not the Tom Hanks one, but the actual documentary about Mister Rogers. And my husband and I went and saw it in the movie theater. And my husband's very much like you, doesn't cry or show emotion. And I remember like looking over at him and he's just like, so like just captivated by, by Fred Rogers. I mean, you can't watch somebody like him and not feel such a love of, of his work and what he was trying to do and, and the good that he brought uh, to, to the communication business for children and during those during that period and some of the ways in which he was communicating very, very, very tough things uh, to people and, and how he was able to get that message out there and do it in the way that he was doing it. Um, and so it's just amazing to, to learn about people like that and to get this opportunity uh, that I have now, even with my podcast, uh, to talk to people who I just feel like have such an inspiring story to tell. And so uh, that's, that's really what 
what gets me going and what makes me uh, feel like I'm doing my job. Uh, so I got very lucky that I get to tell the Navy story and that um, I finally navigated my career to to public affairs. I wasn't always a public affairs officer, but uh, thankfully I'm, I'm in the right job uh, for, for what it is that I think I was meant to do. That's awesome. Yeah, because that story about Mr. Rogers, if he had not had that episode where he and was it officer friendly, I believe was his name. Mm, the, the pool. Yeah. The kiddie pool. Yeah. I'm testing my knowledge from way back because <laughs> that was yeah. a lot of years ago, but yeah, that episode, you have to really wonder how many, how many young hearts and minds were affected by that and changed for the better because he stood up and did the right thing once. And we all have that opportunity to do it every day, whether that is through, through foster fostering a kid adoption whether it's through you know just telling people stories and and helping them to get out there and state their truth to the world so that we can inevitably change this world for the better absolutely i mean like like i said look at what's going on with ukraine right now and look at what the president and his wife are doing to to share the plight of their people i mean it's amazing how he's able to tell the story of, of what's happening and do it in such a way that is just gripping the world. I mean, you can't help but see what the choices that he's made in the ways that he has handled this war and not feel anything but compassion for him, his family and his people. And that to me is, is, is what the power of story was meant to do. It was meant to humanize us and meant to show that we are all similar. We all, we all want to be loved. We all want to have good lives. We all want to be fruitful. We all want to feel empowered. And, and when you can focus on that and not on, oh, look at those other people, you know, I, I think we're in a, a better world. And so I think that's my purpose in life is to show, show those sides of people, show that we can be kind to one another and uh, bring, bring to life people's, people's goodness and their humanity. Well, absolutely. You know, and sharing our story, you know, Jason and I personally, you know, it was meant to inspire people. When we started this podcast, we started this podcast after our daughter passed away. We had closed our, our home for a while because we weren't, we weren't in a place to take kids. We stayed open long enough to finish up the adoptions that we had, but we still wanted to do something. We still felt the urge we needed to help. We wanted to still bring about change, you know, mm -hmm. and so we weren't in a place where we could help kids in our home, but we wanted to inspire other people to reach out and and do that. You know, and I, I think that's that's the power of a good story is inspiring people to do great things. Absolutely. It really is. I mean, that's I will tell you. um, all the facts and all the statistics, you need those. And, you know, when I used to do my animal advocacy stuff, the thing that would grip me the most was a story. It wasn't, um, the, the, the you know, the, the, the lobbyist with all the facts and figures, it was the lady who bought the dog from a pet store and the dog immediately got sick and, and died and, and all the money that the person spent on vet bills and this and that. And, all the ways in which the pet store lied to this lady. I mean, that was what really would grip me more so than just the facts and figures about commercial breeding and overpopulation of pets and other things. So I, I think that you absolutely need both. You need data to push causes and, and to 
push for change. The data must be there. Um, but you need the stories to, to back that up and to, and to grip people and to really get them to care and, and why they should care. It helps people make meaning, provides us meaning. Yeah, I think it's one of those things we're all looking for and in life in general and in our lives and the things that we do. And it sounds like, you know, that that's, well, I know that that's one of the things that Amanda and I have really searched for in this existence is figuring out why we're here on this earth and what we're doing and how we can create lasting change and find real meaning in our lives. And, you know, it sounds to me as if you had found some, you have found some of that meaning in your own life that you're, you're sharing with the world around you. I have. Yeah. And this is a very good feeling. I was hoping I was going to be able to get to this place before I got out of the Navy. And I have, um, because, you know, I'm probably approaching the last few years of my, my service and, I, I think I'm not going to compete for 06. And so I wanted to have something that I could do um, to create my own content and to be of service in the way that I wanted to show up to the world. And uh, I wasn't sure where that was going to lead. And I, and, and to this day, I mean, I'm still feeling like I'm on a path, you know, and I could be a book. It could be a webinar that I teach. I, I, I don't know where it's really going to go, but I didn't know where it was going to go when I joined the Navy either. You know, I didn't know I was going to join the Navy and be a storyteller for the Navy. I thought, oh, I'm going to do my four or five years and get out, <laughs> you know? So I think you don't have to have it all figured out either. Like you can have kind of an idea of where you're going along and the road that you're going down. Um, but I don't think you need to have a fully fleshed plan. I think sometimes that's why people don't act because they think, oh, I've got to have this and this and all these things have to be lined up. And, and you know, when I joined the Navy, I, I just knew I needed money for school college. I knew I wanted an undergrad degree. I knew um, I, I needed to pay off my bills and I wanted to travel. I, I didn't think, oh gosh, I'm going to have three jobs before I find the job that I want. And uh, I'm going to stay in for, you know, I'm going to go on 26 years. I, I didn't know any of that. I, I just had an idea of kind of where I wanted to be. And I thought, okay, I'll do this for a little while. So I feel the same way about my podcast. You know, I, I enjoy it now, but I'm open to whatever opportunities come next. Well, I suspect that there will be some opportunities coming for you because you seem very open to that possibility. And that's the biggest step that you need to take is just to be open to whatever comes next. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Teresa, I want to thank you for telling your story today because not many people are willing to come out and, and be that open and honest with their stories and tell the world about what they've been through and, and show the, both some of the struggles and, and the, be really honest with the, the hard parts of connecting with people and the beauty of what can become after the fact. So, you know, you've shared a story with us that really, really kind of runs the full gamut of emotions and it's what real life really is. And I appreciate your honesty and your time today. Well, thank you, Jason and Amanda. I appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. I'd love to have you guys on my show at some point in the future. And uh, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. It was an honor. Absolutely. Okay, Foster Care Nation. Thank you for listening to Teresa's story. Now take her knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you'd like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at Jason at fostercarenation.com. You can connect with other like-minded people on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash fostercareuj. And don't forget, we have a Patreon account where you can support our mission for as little as $5 a month. 
That's at patreon.com slash fostercarenation. The links to everything are in the show notes in your podcast player or at fostercarenation.com. And as always, you are so super awesome. I thank you guys. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Unparalleled Studios. Studios.